0: Well, good morning. It is great to see group two today. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that we survived homemade haircuts and all the other events of the past few weeks. Thank you. I want to join the other pastors in saying thank you for your amazing patience as we try to jump through all of these hoops to get everybody back. The day is coming when we'll all be here as normal, uh, plus new friends that we're making. But thank you for your incredible, incredible patience. And uh, we're going to get into the Word today. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 1. If you'd like to turn there, if not, the um, Scriptures will be on the screen for you. I want to mention something very important. uh, In addition to saying thank you for working with us, I want to say thank you for your For your giving. You have been phenomenal. You have made it possible for us to not only keep going and survive right now, but to go ahead and make plans for the future. And this has not been a time that the church has been idle. We have been working harder than uh, we, or as hard as we have at any time. And we've looked to the future with some great plans and we're preparing for uh, growth in the family and and, uh, in gathering of the harvest um, you saw Pastor Bella give the uh, introduction today. She is with us now. Uh, this is her second Sunday with us, I guess, and, uh, or at, as a member of staff and is doing such a phenomenal job. I want to remind you that uh, the first Sunday in July, she will have children's programs ready. Nursery will be ready. Um, the nursery workers will be, um, uh, fully, uh, prepared and protected, um, uh, for the benefit of your children. If you have toddlers and, you know, lap babies, you know, it's not likely they're going to stay six feet apart. Um, in fact, we do good just to keep them in the same room, but, uh, uh, at home and at church and everywhere else. But, um, the workers will will go that extra mile for us. It's going to be great. And uh, that starts in July. Uh, Don't forget, I know we've mentioned this, but in June, we're doing this segmented approach, but in July, it will begin to open up. Uh, We probably will have to have two groups instead of four, but that's just to help us work our way through. We'll go back to the Uh, regular schedule. It won't be just a 10 o'clock service. It'll be 830 and 1030 in July. It's going to be good. And I want to give you a heads up that on um, Sunday evening, July 12th, we will have uh, a farewell uh, gathering for Pastor Frank and Linda. Now we call it farewell because we're not sure what else to call it. Frank is leaving staff. They're not leaving us. Um, They're going to do some work in missions, but uh, this will still be their home. They'll still operate from here. But uh, as far as Frank's tenure as uh, children's pastor, it'll be coming to an end. And that'll be his last Sunday uh, with us as a staff member. But we're going to honor him on that day and have a gathering for him that night. And don't forget to be praying for Pastor Frank because Um, He announced a few months ago it got put on hold because of the pandemic, but he is uh, uh, giving the gift of a kidney to his brother uh, that week, so we want to pray for him that that surgery will go very well. Well, let's join together as we look at the scriptures. Let's begin, as is our custom, with the Lord's Prayer. Please, wherever you are, join us as we pray together, our Father who art in heaven Amen. And Father, we also want to pray, uh, as Justin has said, for our nation. We want to pray for those that are fighting sickness and difficulties like unemployment. Lord, we could spend our whole time praying today and not give adequate voice to every need that's before us. But you know what's on our hearts. You know what we're facing. And you know what we've been bringing to you week by week. We pray especially for those in our congregation and uh, around the world that are fighting this virus. We pray for healing. We pray for help. We pray for the strong name of Jesus to exert itself on behalf of these that are suffering. We give you the praise and ask you to open our heart to your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you today about what happens when we call out to God. What happens when we cry out to God? Uh, When you read the Bible, you'll see those phrases um, interchanged, crying out and calling out. Now, it's not the only way to pray. You can pray quietly. You can pray silently. Thank God that he is the one who loves to hear and answer prayer. Um, but there seems to be a time in our life where we move to this idea of calling out to him, of crying out to him. Now, when you look in the scripture, sometimes that is a poetic um, emotional praying. When it says that someone called out to the Lord or called upon the name of the Lord or someone cried out, it was just a a beautiful Hebrew way of saying that their soul was poured out to the Lord. It might have been quiet. It might have been loud. It might have been because of a problem. It might have been in adoration or praise. But that's the first way that the idea of calling out to the Lord is used. The other is, and one commentator put it this way he said it is an expulsion of praise or gratitude you've heard someone in a moment of getting good news say something like oh thanks be to God and we've probably all done that it wasn't planned it wasn't part of a formal prayer it just exploded out of our lives Peter Wagner used to tell the story about um him being introduced to speak at a uh at his church in Pasadena, California. And as he was being introduced, there was a young man in the audience that did not want to hear Peter Wagner preach because he was in Peter Wagner's classes all week long at Fuller Seminary. And and he thought Professor Wagner was tough and was a little bit unfair in his assignments and he had a term of endearment for him. He called him Professor Stinky. That was his name for Peter Wagner. And not even realizing he was speaking out loud, he said, oh, no, it's Professor Stinky. And the lady next to him said, young man, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am. He said, I, she said, I am Professor Stinky's wife. <laughs> he looked at her and said, do you know who I am? And she said, no. No. And he said, thank God. Thank God. That's one of those expulsions, calling out on the name of the Lord. But whenever we see the idea of calling out or crying out to God, more than any other situation, it's connected to the idea of desperation. It's connected to the idea not only of desperation, but maybe even of trouble, of danger. Uh, You know, we're overwhelmed by some things. And and, uh, not only is it connected to desperation, but there's usually an, an implication of delay that often feels like denial. When we call out to God, we are often in trouble and we feel that God is on vacation. Uh, Listen to some of the passages from the book of Psalms that you have there in your outline. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Uh, Psalm 34, 6, this poor man called. uh, And uh, the better translation is this poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him. Why did he call out to the Lord? He was in trouble. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, sometimes this is where the idea of delay comes in. We know God is able. We just feel like he's not willing. Uh, uh, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. It's also expressed in Psalm 88. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. And that wasn't a like to get a spiritual merit badge. It was like every day I'm doing this and you still haven't answered me. Every day I spread out my hands to you. I call out to you, the psalmist said in 119. Save me and I will keep your statutes. And even God understood the connection of calling out because he spoke to his people and said this, In your distress, you called And I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And whenever God is making this statement, He is acknowledging two things. He says, it works when you call out to me. But the second thing, and this is where we get a little, little antsy. It involves often a process. God is not a slot machine that we put a formula prayer in and out pops what we need. He is interested more in relationship than in simply rescue. God can always rescue us, but what he's after is to establish a relationship with us. We live in an age of instant gratification. Uh, I remember the, the ordeal of waiting, smelling what my mom was cooking and waiting for a couple of hours for it to be done. Now I find myself complaining if the microwave requires more than 60 seconds. (laughs) We are in an age that wants instant answers, instant gratification, instant explanation. And I tell you, in, in this age in which we're living where so much is given and then you are required to make a decision, I fear for our children and you need to pray for your children. You need to help your children because our children are losing the ability to think critically and process through problems. It's just whichever sound bite gets their attention, that's what they go with. And we are headed for trouble. You say, Pastor, we're already in trouble. We do have troubles and we have plenty of things that need to be fixed. But we're going to have more things that need to be fixed if we don't understand how to think critically and how to process the situation we're in. We have to teach our children to do that. Now, everybody got real excited about that, I can tell. But let me tell you what this teaching of calling upon the Lord is wanting to instill in us. It's wanting to, as I said, establish relationship. And we need to go back and reclaim those portions of Scripture where we have situations like Jacob facing what he thinks is going to be annihilation from his brother, and realizing that this may be the last evening I have on planet Earth. His prayer is described in the book of Genesis as wrestling with the Lord, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And um uh, God wrestled with him all night. You say, well God could have just God could have just fixed it right away, Pastor. Well, God was going to fix it the next day, but sometimes the wrestling we have the night before God fixes our problems tomorrow is what shapes our character. And at the end of the wrestling, I know this is this is a um, it kind of a, it, well not an allegory, but it's a, it's, a, it's a type, it's a symbol of what God was doing on the inside. When the wrestling match was over, God touched the hip of Isaac, or, or excuse me, of Jacob. And the Bible says that Jacob limped for the rest of his life. You see, when you and I face trouble and when we call out to God, the goal, the goal is for us to be changed so that we don't walk the way we used to walk. And that's not comfortable. That's not comfortable theology. It's not even comfortable existence. But God says, I'm more interested in changing you than rescuing you. Now, thank God he rescues. But there's a change that he wants to take place. Or you think about the Gentile woman whose daughter was so sick. And she came to Jesus and says, Lord... Heal my daughter. And Jesus says something that sounds absolutely insulting and rude. But you've got to understand what Jesus was doing. He looked at the woman and said, Do you really think it's right for me to give the children's bread to dogs? Now you say, Jesus called that woman a dog. No, but that's what the Jews called Gentiles. And Jesus was saying, well, you know the teaching. You've been been subject to this prejudice all of your life. Do you really think that I ought to take what was intended for the children and give it to the dogs? And instead of being, uh, you know, wrathful at that response, she said, Lord, I'm going to lay down my hurt. And this is what I want to say. Even dogs get to eat crumbs that fall from the children's table. And that's what Jesus was looking for. He wasn't looking uh, to call her anything bad. He was trying to see if she could push past where she was. And he and she did, and he healed her daughter. Or what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Paul said that I prayed three times for the removal of this difficulty. Now, he doesn't tell us what the difficulty was. And... Um, I think that was the wisdom of the Holy Spirit because if we knew what Paul's thorn was, we would think the principles don't apply to us unless we had the same thorn. But he talked about bringing this to the Lord and three times was a Hebraic way of saying, look, this has been on my prayer list forever. I go from season to season to season of praying and calling out to God for an answer. And I've asked God to remove this thorn. And you know the story. We've, we've been in this passage of Scripture before. God did not remove the thorn, but God gave Paul a revelation and understanding that he would have never had if God had healed the thorn to begin with. He said, now I tell you what I came out of this with. I came out understanding that when I am weak, that's when I'm at my strongest. When I am at my weakest, that's when God's glory shines through the most. You see, whenever we call out to God, there's this idea of distress. There's this idea of delay. But it's not because God is capricious and we have to talk Him into something. It's because God is working in me and He's working in you Everybody here, everybody listening in online, God is working something out in your life that is so valuable and so precious and so treasured that it's doubtful we even have a clue what's going on. But as we've said before, God is willing to be misunderstood in the short term to be able to continue what He wants to do in the long term. So that's the value of calling out to God. I like the way one old poet put it, and they put it in the song later, talking about our calling out to God and getting upset when he doesn't answer right away. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, leaving me none the wiser with all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. So here, now that I've got everybody thoroughly depressed, (laughs) see, you don't have the advantage of stepping out for a waffle like people do at home. You just got to bear up under this. What happens when I call out to God? Well, we're going to talk, we're going to answer that specifically. But before we can answer that, you need to understand what's going on. God is not just willy-nilly, oh, you're in a world that's broken, you got problems, I'll help you, don't worry. No, God is working something magnificent in us if we can have patience and believe that He's doing it. Now let's let's look what calling out to God looked like to the people of Israel when they were in Egyptian bondage. Um, I'm going to read some passages that are very uh, much related, but you're going to see this this theme, this recurring theme of calling out to God. Exodus 1, 23 to 25, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. Now, this is is after the death of Joseph. Almost 400 years has has passed. Uh, 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 You know, it's been a long haul. During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. See, they're calling out, there's distress, there's delay. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now let's let's back up a little bit. We'll see the same thing. Uh, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. I love verse 12. This is in the DNA of every child of God. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You are that way you have that DNA the more you are afflicted the more you will multiply and grow so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly they made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and their harsh and in all their harsh labor the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly now let's go to chapter 3 by now Moses, who has been in exile for 40 years, has encountered God in the burning bush. And God is explaining to Moses why he's calling Moses to action. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, now this Moses was out out tending the sheep and he sees the bush that's on fire but is not being consumed. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And God said, here I am. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. Now, the children of Israel didn't know any of this. Maybe the best among them knew it instinctively, but God said, Moses, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm going to do something. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey And he talks about the nations uh, that were inhabiting the land that are going to be dealt with by God. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now let's let's look at a couple of things before we begin to conclude with some life lessons. First of all, I want you to see the problem they faced. We need to really understand this to understand what God was doing. First of all, there was a forgotten man. It tells us in Exodus 1 that when a new pharaoh arose, Joseph to him meant nothing. King James says, uh, a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. (coughs) See, you've got to understand, in the days of Joseph, Joseph had saved Egypt from starvation by interpreting the dream of the king and telling the king what he ought to do. And Egypt was the only nation around that survived that plague, the only nation in that part of the world that survived the plague. And they helped other nations survive. And all of this was because of Joseph. And Joseph went from the dungeon where he was serving time because of a false charge of rape. And he's elevated in a moment's time from the dungeons of Egypt to the second in command in Egypt but now he's just a blur from the past Um, that's a dangerous place for a culture to be when a culture has a connection with God in its past and they forget that culture it's a dangerous place to be and that's where Egypt was there was not only a forgotten man but there was a forgotten promise Genesis 15, this is what God said to Abraham 400 years earlier when God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a nation. Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. See, they are just like us. I suspect there were, there were chitties in that group of Israelite slaves because we have a tendency, I know I do and most of us do, we have a tendency when we're going through a tough place, you know, we lose our job, our marriage is struggling, or child's in rebellion or we've got to disconnect with our parents or you name it. We have a tendency to forget what God has promised. It's not that we reject it. Christians don't, don't reject what God has said. We just have a tendency to forget what God has said. I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a, a guy that was in such incredible rebellion. I mean, just, oh, if I, could, if I could give you 15 minutes, you'd say he's the poster child for uh, the Antichrist. And he was in such rebellion, and he came up to me one Wednesday night and shocked me. He came up and gave me a big old hug and started crying. He'd never given me a hug, never shown any kind of affection toward me. And um, I said, uh, you okay? I'd be honest with you, I thought he was drunk, because I'd had to deal with that before. I thought he was drunk. And he he said, no, he said, "I'm, I'm better than drunk. He said, I got right with God. And uh, I said, what happened? He said, well, I was listening to an album, Keith Green album. Some of you remember Keith Green. And he said, there was a song that I had not heard in years. And he said, God reminded me, called, called him by name and said, do you remember the last time you listened to this song? You promised me this, this, and this. And do you remember that I promised you this, this, and this? He said, and I started crying in my room and screamed out. And he said, God, I had forgotten that. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and again called him by name and said, I never forget. I never forget what you promise and I never forget what I promise. But Israel, like many of us, because of their adversity, had forgotten the promise. So there's a forgotten man, a forgotten promise and there was a forgotten covenant. You see, uh, whenever God makes covenant with His people, it's a it's a very important thing. And God says, even when circumstances are not working for you, you've got to remember there's a covenant in place, and I am working for you. Now, uh, that was the the first problem they they faced was this this issue of of forgetting. Now. Um, Let's go to number two. Let's talk about the response that God showed. Now, that was their problem. But what did God do? Here's number one. He said, when we, when we call out to him, he says, I hear. That's number one. I hear. No one cares and no one understands like Jesus. Let me say one more time what I said in the introduction The reason we have such a disconnect with God trying to help us is that usually when we come to Him, we want relief. But God wants to give us release. It's not enough for you to just get out of the problem. You see, a lot of times God will delay the process because He knows all we want to do is get out of trouble. And if we get out of trouble, then we'll go on living life as we were before. But God says, I want to set you free from that thing that got you in trouble to begin with. Again, he's after release, not just relief. So he says, I have heard. Here's number two. He says, I have seen. I hear your cry and I see what's going on. And number three, he says, I have come down. I have come down. I put a name that most of you may be familiar with in your notes, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian dissident that um, had spent years in a a gulag, a Russian prison camp, before being able to come to America, and he became a great spokesman for democracy. This is what Solzhenitsyn said. As a young believer in God, he said, uh, I would go through the process in that gulag where I was being reeducated, He said, and every day, he said, I despise the sound of a man walking down the hallway. He had a, I I knew his gait, I knew his walk, I knew his rhythm, and I knew he was coming. And every day he would come in and beat me mercilessly. He would beat me until I cried out for death. He said, day after day after day. He says, But what happened very soon as I called out to God, days later he said that man would come, I would cry and begin to scream as I heard him coming. And then as he would go away, I would hope that death would come so I wouldn't have to go through this again. He said, but one day I heard another set of footsteps with a different gait, with a different rhythm. And that person came in and opened the door without a key and came in and would comfort me, would stroke my hair and would soothe my wounds. He said, as I looked, he said, I didn't have to ask. I knew instinctively this was Jesus. He said, it happened one day, happened a second day, happened a third day. And he said, it got to the point that even as severe as the beatings were, He said, I almost welcomed them because I knew that when the beating was over, Jesus was going to walk down that hall. And instead of crying over that man's footsteps, I began to rejoice over the footsteps of Jesus. That's what happens when God comes down. That's why the scripture says, when we draw near to God, when we make an effort, we draw near to God. He will draw near to us. He understands our cries He hears, he sees, and he comes to us. You know, his name was Jesus. The angel said his name would be Jesus, which is a form of Joshua. Yeshua, it means Savior. God is our Savior. But he had another name, kind of a nickname, and he said he shall be called Emmanuel. And what was Emmanuel? God with us. Because for nearly 400 years, almost 400 years, there had not been a canonical or writing prophet for Israel. There were no Isaiah's or Jeremiah's or anybody like that. We call it 400 years of silence. I don't think it was silent. God had men and women that were serving him. But there was no major writing prophet. So, within the mind of Israel, there had developed this construct of God's alive and God's there, but He's way off out there somewhere. And the angel said, When this baby is born, it's going to be not only God, but it's God with you. He's with you, He's come alongside to help. Now, what do we do with this? How do we begin to wrap this up? What are the lessons that we learn? What are what we call our Christian life lessons? Here they are. Number one, hard times don't hinder the promises that God has made to you. Even if we forget, remember my friend I told you about, even if we forget, God does not. He said in Exodus 124, he said, I have remembered. I have remembered. Whatever promise you think is now forfeit, Maybe it's something He spoke to you in a Sunday school class in your childhood. Maybe it's something He spoke to you that night when you got so drunk you threw up all over the place and the next morning your head was throbbing and you said, Lord, there's got to be something better than this. And God spoke to you and said there is. And He made a promise to you and you have forgotten about that. But God remembers. So hard times don't hinder the promises God made to you circumstances don't hinder angel Gabriel says Zechariah you and Elizabeth are going to have a child in your old age and he's going to be the forerunner of Messiah (laughs) Zechariah says how can this be you say why did God get so upset with him that's same thing Mary said no Mary said how shall this be Mary said, okay, now how are you going to do this? Zechariah said, how can you do this? But God said, I'm going to keep my promises, whether you remember or not, or whether your circumstances are not. And God did Zechariah a great favor. The angel struck him so that he could not speak because every time he opened his mouth, he just went further and further in deficit. Best thing I can do for you is to just shut you up for about nine or 10 months. And when it, the baby was born, they said, what is his name going to be? And you know, it, it's so funny to me. He wasn't deaf, but the Bible says they made signs to him. When, when somebody has a problem, we think, we, we usually try to respond the wrong way. They're making signs to a man that can hear fine. And he writes, his name is John. His name is John. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed and he began to praise God and give glory to God. And all of a sudden, he remembered that God always keeps his promises. So hard times don't hinder the promises God made to you. You say, Well, God told me he'd help me this way, but I've lost my job. Or God told me he'd do this, but I've lost my wife. Or God said this, that, or the other. I guess I'm disqualified now. No matter what you are up against, God is not held hostage by your trouble. The second thing we need to remember, not only that hard times don't hinder, but harsh treatment is not unnoticed. Harsh treatment is not unnoticed. The toughest trials are those in which we feel forgotten and forsaken. That's why the enemy attacks you. See, God spoke through Daniel the prophet and said the job of Antichrist as a person and as a spirit that's in the world is to rob you of hope. Uh, It it was put this way in King James. Um, He tries to wear out the saints of God. Tries to wear them out. Um, Somebody said that man can live for more than 30 days without food. He can live for about three days without water, and he can live for about three minutes without hope. That's why the enemy attacks us in the area of hope, and, and that's why he wants us to get in situations where we feel that God doesn't pay attention. When I was nine years old, I w- was going into surgery, Sacred Heart Hospital, Pensacola. I was terrified. Uh, because of what I had been through. I was terrified because my mama and daddy couldn't go with me. I was, I was just a nine-year-old boy, scared to death, not understanding what was going on. I mean, I wasn't dumb, but I had, I'd had just my tonsils taken out. But I had complications. Basically, I was bleeding to death, and they didn't want to tell me that. I didn't know it till afterwards. I just knew I was in deep, deep trouble. And I told, I was crying. I said, I wanted my mama to go with me. I wanted my daddy to go with me. They said, no, they can't. And at the hospital, I saw my mom break through the nurses, and she came and took my hand, and she said, Steve, remember this. I am right outside the door. I won't leave here for any reason. Now, I found out later they tried to make her leave. And my mom, you'd have to know my mom, she said, I just don't see anybody big enough I think can make me leave. <laughs> so they took her name off the list and she stayed there. But I tell you what carried me into that operating room. I, I, I tell you what kept me The last thing I remember before they put me under again is a a precious nurse, could have been an angel for all I know, put that thing mask with ether over my face, and she said, oh, you remember what your mama said? Your mama is right outside that door, and she's not going anywhere. And that calmed me, and when I woke up, first thing I asked for was mama, and she was outside the door. Now you say, well, that's just the rantings of a little nine-year-old boy. But loved ones, loved ones, God makes that promise to us. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, when we go through those difficult places, God said, I was right outside the door. I was right there with you. I'll never leave you for any reason. Harsh treatment doesn't go unnoticed. And here's the last Christian life lesson. Even heavy tests are survivable. Even heavy tests are survivable. Hard times, God says, that doesn't slow me down. Harsh treatment, God said, I've seen it. I know what you're going through. I know when you've been done wrong. Heavy tests, I will put something in you that you will be able to survive it. Let me explain something as we wrap this message up. Mercy and grace are the foundations of Christian living. Mercy and grace, not performance and perfection. Mercy and grace. You say, well, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy, (laughs) oh, thank God for mercy. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. When God shows me mercy, He doesn't give me what I deserve. You say, well, what is grace? Grace is Him giving me what I don't deserve. So the foundations of God's relationship with it, He says, I'm not going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated, because I've carried your sins. And I'm going to give you something that you could never earn in a million lifetimes. I'm going to give you grace. You say, well, what is grace? Grace. Grace has two major dynamics. We've talked about this before. God's goodwill. We, You know, a lot of people say grace is unmerited favor, but that's only one side of the coin. But it's true. Grace is God's good will toward me. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of us were sinners. Every one of us were slaves to the enemy. Every one of us were in the domain of darkness, and while we were unlovable, God gave His Son for our sins. It's His goodwill toward me, but secondly, it's His good work within me. He doesn't just say, I like you, He says, I'll help you. I'll help you. You know, if a millionaire came today and I knew that he had $5 billion in the bank and could solve all my problems. I, I, I would be thrilled for him to say, you know, Chitty, I like you. But I want him to do more than say, I like you. I want him to say, I'll help you. And that's exactly, that's exactly what God did through his grace. Now, it, it works together through faith. We believe and faith is activated by this idea of confession If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But confession doesn't mean, all right, you caught me. I did it. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows you did it. If if everybody doesn't know you did it, somebody knows you did it. Everybody knows I did it. We all did it. it. It's not, yeah, you caught me. That's not confession. The word confession in the New Testament basically means to say the same thing as someone else. If I confess my sins, I say the same thing about my sins that God says about my sins. Greek words homo logeo. You you know, homo means same. Logeo means spoken or word. To confess my sins, I don't say you caught me. I say, Lord, everything you said about me is right. Everything that you said is broken in me, you're right. And we've got to understand that God has mercy and God has grace, but we need to confess our sins. I read a story one time about the son of the king in England that went to a prison and wanted to tour the facilities and he had had in his heart hopes for prison uh, refi- or not refinement uh, reformation. and he wanted to see conditions for himself. And, and the jailer wanted him to see just how rotten the prisoners were. The jailer didn't want to help the prisoners. So he took the prince in and he saw this motley crew behind bars, and to one of them the prince says, "What are you in prison for?" He said, "Oh, your Majesty, I was falsely accused. My enemies falsely accused me. I don't belong here. Please get me out. He went to another one and said, Your Majesty, I'm not guilty. I had an alibi. I had someone that could vouch for me, but the authorities rejected it. My alibi has been rejected. He went to another one and said, Your Majesty, I am an upright citizen an upright subject of the king. I am here because of the intrigues of men. My enemies plotted against me. He went to another one and said, what are you here for? He said, I don't know your majesty. It was a matter of mistaken identity. They thought it was me, but it was obviously somebody that just looked like me. I don't belong here. And then he went to another prisoner and said, what are you doing here? And this prisoner wouldn't lift his head. He said, I am a liar, a thief, an immoral man. I broke the king's law and I'm not worthy to stand before you or look upon your face. I am guilty and I am getting what I deserve. And the prince looked at the jailer and said, I am offended. What in the world is this? immoral wretch doing in the company of these other upright citizens. He said, take this wicked man and throw him out. He should not be in such noble company. The man was set free. You see, if we would stop trying to justify our sins, if we would stop trying to find someone to blame our brokenness on, And if we would just say, Lord, you nailed it. You nailed it. Everything you said about me is true. You said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's exactly right. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we can also understand what John said, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You say, Pastor, what is that? It's called confession. It's called confession. What do we do with all of this today, Pastor? Well, you remember, first of all, that hard times don't make one bit of difference to God. He can always keep His promise. Harsh treatment. You've been done wrong. You've been misunderstood. You've been misjudged. You've been maligned. You have been ill-treated. Man may not notice, man may not acknowledge, but God says I'll always see it and I'll always make it right if you'll follow me. You say, but pastor, you just don't know what I'm going through. I probably don't. I I don't know. All of us have struggles and problems unique to us and we could probably all say to some level, nobody understands what I'm going through. And to some level that's true. But I will tell you this, whatever heavy test you're going through, call upon God and He will show you mercy, He will show you grace, and He will lift you out of this hard place. In a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. It was a life-changing book for me. I read back in high school. This is what Hudson Taylor said. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. Um, And I I left out out a sentence. I don't know how I did that. He said, what matters is where the pressure is. What matters is whether you let the pressure come between you and God or you let the pressure push you nearer to his great heart. Loved ones, we are in a world that is broken. We are in a world that is unfair. We are in a world that is broken beyond repair apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe we ought to do everything we can to make this world a better place. I believe we ought to do everything we can to make wrongs right. I have no issue with that whatsoever but at the end of the day at the end of the day only the hand of God can make your life right only the hand of God can make my life right and that's why he says whosoever will may come let's pray shall we Father in the strong name of Jesus I'm asking for your help I ask for your help. There are people perhaps here in the sanctuary that really need the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to come to you and let you apply heaven's healing to whatever is broken in their life. Uh, Lord, it could be that everybody here is fine. I realize that's a possibility, but... Lord, I'm certain that as many people as are watching online, there's got to be somebody somewhere that their life is troubled and broken and at the root cause of all of it is that Jesus is not their Lord and Savior. And I want to give everybody an opportunity, whether they're watching online or whether they're here in the sanctuary today, the doors are open to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The doors are open for you to say, I want you to be the fixer of my brokenness. Now, we're not asking you to join the church. We're not asking you to become assemblies of God. That's, we're, the church membership isn't even open today as far as being a member of the church. But I tell you what is open, opening your heart to Jesus and becoming a part of his family. I want to tell you, becoming a church member doesn't make you part of the family. But coming to Jesus makes you part of the family. And we want to pray with you. Now, I know there are other people that are here and you'd say, Pastor, my life is just broken. I've got a problem. I, I love Jesus and I'm serving him. That's not the issue. I belong to him but I have something or some things in my life that are just weighing down on me with such intensity. Oh, I need the Lord to show me His grace and His mercy. He'll do it. He'll do it. We want to pray for you. And Lord, I ask you to touch everyone in Jesus' name. Loved ones, this is what we want to do. While we're working our way back to our normal routine, we do things a little bit differently. Um, If you're here in the auditorium, Ryan and his team are going to come back. They're going to begin to worship God again. Uh, Oh, they're already back. Um, Thank you, guys. They're already back. And if you're here, we want to give you an opportunity to do one of two things. We realize some of you may need to go, but we want to give you the opportunity at this point to just come forward and say, I need someone to pray for me. I need someone to help me as I walk through this tough place. That's what we're after, okay, is the help of the Lord. We're going to ask you to come forward if you're here in the auditorium, and I think our ushers are going to uh, show you the way out the side. We don't usually do that. We usually pray here in the altar, but we've, we've just got some logistical challenges that uh, we're working through for a few more weeks and And so we're going to take you out of the hallway where you'll have some quiet and where you'll have plenty of room to be prayed for. I promise you, we're not taking you to a psych ward or, or, you know, a a demon chamber or anything like that. It's just, it's the hand we're dealt right now. We, we're going to take you where you can hear a little bit better. Those of you that are listening to us online, you may see, say, pastor, I don't have anybody to pray with me. You might, you might be listening with someone that loves you very much and would be glad to pray with you. But for the next four or five minutes, I invite you to just bow where you are. And as this worship team leads you into the presence of God, call out to God. You don't have to figure out how to get his interest. He's already said, I've heard you, I've seen you, and I will come to where you are. I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, He will meet you there in your living room or your bedroom or wherever it is you are. He will meet you. And He, the Holy Spirit, will encounter your life with the incredible power of heaven. Whatever God does for you, I encourage you to let us know. Come to us online or give us a call. Let us know. And we'd love to help you know better how to be a part of the family of God. We welcome you in Jesus' name. So whether you're here and coming forward or online and just going into the presence of God, we're going to stay online for another four or five minutes so you can hear the worship, you can encounter God, And he's going to do special things. If you are wanting prayer here, we're going to ask you to begin to come. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. In Jesus' name.